Hello, everyone. You're listening to the Forward Thinking Podcast. I'm Xander Broffel, Director of Marketing Ops at CS2. And joining me today is Matt Kronk, Director of Marketing Operations at CS2 as well. Matt, so great to have you on the podcast today. Yeah, great to be able to join. I, uh, I'm really honored and really ex- honestly excited to talk about today's topic. So, um, yeah, definitely. Well- Excited I'm very excited to have you on. Um, I I remember when I was interviewing with you, I was very impressed with with who I was meeting with uh, when I was on my way to CS2. Um, and it's been really great kind of learning from you. And I think that our audience is going to get a lot out of today's conversation where we are talking about lead scoring uh, and just how to go about doing it the right way, um, especially as we start to relate that to our revenue growth architecture. So, uh, Matt, as I understand, it's the first time that you've been on the podcast. Is that right? I believe it's my first time solo. I think we uh, we did like an all team podcast a while back. But uh, yes, probably probably the first official time people would be introduced to me. So awesome. Um, so yeah, I think uh, Xander, you already mentioned it. Uh, I I'm a director of marketing operations here at CS2. Um, and uh, I've been with CS2 for uh, close to two years now, um, but in marketing operations for around 10 years. Um, so, yeah. Fantastic. What what drew you to marketing ops? If you can remember 10 years ago, that's quite some time in this it's world. It's nearly a whole decade. I mean, that's, that's a long time to remember. Um, yeah. So I, I think like many of us, I kind of fell into marketing operations. Um, I didn't know that marketing operations was kind of like a, a niche or like a, a sub department within marketing. Um, I studied communication in college and thought I wanted to do marketing, um, but was introduced to this role. And, and one of the first questions they asked me is like, yeah, so are you okay with, you know, kind of being the person that doesn't get a whole lot of the glory and just makes things work on the back end?" And I was like, actually, that sounds fine to me. Uh, and part of that was because I was, you know, straight out of college and looking for uh, any way in. Um, but once I got in and then I kind of discovered how Salesforce and Marketo all worked, it was, um, it was actually a really great fit. Uh, cause I think it kind of melds the, um, I don't know, melds some of my, my engineering thinking with some of the, the creative thinking that I think maybe goes along with marketing. So, um, it's been a really good fit. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I find that there's so, there's just such a unique personality type that fits really well into marketing ops. It's hard to find, but when you do, it's just like, it's like that perfect marriage between data analytics and then just a little bit of creativity and, and, and faith, you know, yeah. just to jump in and try something new. Yeah. Very, very totally. cool. Uh, what, what drew you to CS2? Uh, so I actually was on the client side of the relationship with CS2 uh, a couple times. Uh, so um, at, a, at a couple different organizations, was privileged enough to work uh, with uh, Chrissy and Charlie and Christy, who I think was uh, like employee number three or four. Um, and so, um, yeah, th- got introduced to them uh, via uh, those, you know, th- those organizations. Um, and not only was, you know, the, the work that they were doing top notch, but also they were just great people. Uh, and so, Wanting to be able to, to join a team like that was uh, kind of like a, a dream kind of thing at, at that point. Um, and I think also, you know, just, you know, being in an agency or, or a consulting uh, kind of a role is a great fit for me um, just because I really, I really am drawn towards those like really difficult problems. Um, and I, I like to 
Um, I like to build like the new kind of cutting edge types of things uh, a lot more than I like um, kind of like the the maintenance or like the the more routine t- types of things. And um, so for me, the the agency is kind of the perfect outlet to be able to, to focus on those things I love the most. Um, so yeah, that, it was it was the perfect fit when when I got that opportunity to join. Yeah. You know, I had a client who really talked about improving the business versus running the business. And the thing that I really like about being a part of CS2 is that you always feel like you're improving the business for all of your different clients. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, um, and honestly, that kind of goes right along with, uh, I don't know how many, how much you've heard about, well, I know you have, but I don't know how much our listeners have heard about, uh, revenue growth architecture, but, uh, you know, everything we do at CS2 is, uh, tailored with the intent of we're going to be growing the business, uh, not just maintaining. So, um, yeah, that's, it's what I love about what we do, uh, and a really cool opportunity. Well, awesome. Thank you so much for taking some time to introduce yourself to our listeners. Uh, we, we will definitely be having you on uh, more in the future. So I think that folks after this conversation are going to be really excited to continue to hear from you, Matt. Um, speaking of that conversation today, what we are talking about is lead scoring, um, a, a very familiar topic that I think that a lot of people still are learning new things about. And we are hoping today that we can, you know, provide some recommendations on on how to really approach lead scoring uh, as uh, effectively as possible. Um, So first of all, Matt, you know, why should we even consider scoring at all? Why don't we just send over all leads or or a portion of the leads, um, maybe just the hand raisers? Like why go about doing this scoring model to begin with? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think um, even as you're kind of asking it, there, there's a little bit of like an assumption built into the question. It's like, oh, the reason I score is so that I can MQL people. And that is one of the reasons, um, but it's not the only reason you would score. Um, and so um, I think one thing I want to kind of highlight is that wherever you draw that MQL line, whether it's you know at a hand raiser or whether it's at a score of 50 or some other criteria, you're, you're ultimately drawing a line somewhere. And saying everything above this line, I want the sales to pay sales team to pay attention to, and everything below that line, I don't care so much. Um, so from the very beginning, like you're 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 basing the assumption on you're going to draw a line, and if it's anything other than a hand raiser, you need to, you need to know where that that line is, and that's where scoring helps you. Uh, it, it helps you take a lot of really complex information, um, things like persona criteria, things like demographic fit, firmographic fit, how much behavior they're engaging with, like all of those things are difficult to make sense of if you're thinking about them as all individual data points. So if you can reduce that complexity down to something a lot simpler uh, to where now you can just give it a point value and draw a line and say everything above has a score that's worthy of, of MQLing, like it just is a practical way to, uh, to, to bring some sense to that. And so um, yeah, I think the, the motive of MQLing somebody, uh, is a big one, uh, for why you would choose to, uh, choose to adopt scoring. And like I mentioned, there's usually a bunch of different criteria in there. Um, you know, so you have things like, I mean, really, really what an MQL is, is it you're telling the team that they are ready to talk to sales. Um, 
And so for most, most organizations, that's, um, there, there's a few different criteria for it. I, I think I just listed some of those. Like you have, um, you know, your, your persona. So is this the right person I'm talking to? Um, and then you have, you know, the firmographic information. Is this, is this a company that is likely to be a fit? Are they too small or too large or are they in the right industry? Um, and then some kind of intent data. And there's, there's all kinds of different intent data you can get into. Um, you know, some of it will be third party. And that's like, that's good to know. I'd say even better than that is first party data. They actually know your company's name and maybe something about what you're offering. Um, and then the best is to your point of that hand raiser is where they're actually telling you, I'm ready, please talk to me. Um, and so all of those facets should really be incorporated into your score. Um, and you don't want there to just be one of those three, you know, facets in place. You want there to be a combination, um, that, you know, together makes this person uh, more qualified to talk to. Uh, and that's where, again, scoring can really, uh, help simplify that and make it actually actionable. Um, so yeah, I think MQLing, the assumption that that's what scoring is for, uh, very valid. But I think even beyond that, um, whether you're talking about your MQLs or you're talking about your non-MQLs, what scoring does for you is um, it allows your, your team to prioritize. So even if you do only MQL, you know, a subset of people, which you should only MQL a subset of people, um, even if you do that, uh, some days your team is going to be overwhelmed and they need to know how to prioritize amongst mm -hmm. that set of MQLs. Um, and so having a score in place helps them differentiate what to prioritize. Uh, and the same thing is just as true for the non-MQLs. Um, if that sales team is going to be doing any kind of uh, mining or cherry picking or you know, kind of choose your term, um, it, it's really helpful for them to do that with scoring in place because they can actually see uh, what's what makes the most sense to actually spend my time on. Yeah. Um, so really, I mean, that's, that's what scoring is all about. And I think uh, whether you use it to MQL or not, it's, it's hugely valuable for the prioritization piece. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're going to go into like how to go about it, but you keep on talking about demographic scoring. And, and I think that that can be really helpful. Um, I, I love the term cherry picking and I feel like there's always a negative connotation. I think about back to like elementary school football where everybody would be cherry picking in the back. Right. But I think that, you know, a salesperson's job is to also prospect. And if marketing can help them prospect more effectively by employing a demographic and behavior score that they can say, hey, they're not necessarily ready and hot yet. So don't go to them saying, hey, schedule a demo. But if you can build a relationship with that, with that prospect in a true outbound motion, why not work some of the marketing leads? You just have to make sure that as you are enabling that sales team that they are communicating with that intent is that they're not trying to communicate and say, you downloaded a white paper. Do you want to buy? You downloaded <laughs> yeah. a white paper. What are you interested in learning about? Now the sales team is taking that like nurturing approach like you would with a marketing campaign. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think it's important too. like, there's a couple things in there. Like number one, I think so often, you know, teams kind of get protective of like, Oh, these, these are the, these are the non MQLs that I'm still working in. They're about to MQL. And once I do, I'll get credit for it. And mm. so like, they want to be protective of that group, but I think it's important to step back and say, like, remember like, we're all same team here. And if the, if the sales team sees 
an opening and a reason to talk to somebody who's not an MQL yet. Like, I think we as marketers need to realize that that's actually, that that's like, like a, a great goal and a great thing to strive for is that, you know, um, if you're able to feed them those more ready, uh, more ready leads that haven't quite MQL yet, that's great. And because, because if they get a head start and you end up winning a deal because they were that much quicker to mm -hmm. that opportunity, um, that's more money. That's more, you know, that's more growth for your organization. So, um, I think it's, yeah, I would not discourage that, uh, by any means. And, and I think also it's kind of right there in the name cherry picking, like, like you said, there's kind of a negative connotation to it, but think about it. Like if you're actually going to go pick cherries, you're going to pick the ones that are the ripest. Like if they're ripe and they're ready, they're ripe and they're ready, go talk to them. So, um, scoring really helps you see which ones are there for the taking. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and scoring is never going to be perfect. So if you go into it with the assumption of, Hey, if we can help them prioritize, even if it didn't go over the line and they still find an opportunity, like that is still going to be a win. And, and we've talked about it numerous times on the podcast. I know it's easier said than done, but if we can get our teams to stop thinking about credit and start thinking about the buyer experience and the, and the, and the, at the end of the day, new revenue is always going to be your number one goal as a business. Like that's what you need to be focused on. And if we can get away from the credit conversation, we can actually have things like lead scoring really work for both marketing and sales. Yeah, absolutely. So you definitely, you definitely convinced me that it's not just about handing an MQL off to the sales team. Um, how can you give the sales team some insights and some some detail into what records they should be prioritizing? Yeah, that's a great question. I think I think this is where scoring is kind of a balancing act. Um, on the one hand, like I mentioned, it's you know you're trying to take really complex information and distill it down into a simple enough metric that like is actionable. Uh, so that's where like having a number score is really helpful. Um, but at the same time, you don't want to oversimplify it to the point where now I just know that this person's a five and this other person's a four, and I don't know why, uh, but I know that five is bigger than four. So it's more important. Like that's not really very helpful either. Yeah. Um, so, uh, in, in my mind, like adopting the right scoring method is, um, it's, it's kind of an art form a little bit, but, uh, you know, it, of striking that balance, um, the way I think of it, there's kind of like a few uh, different methods that you can can take. Um, there's like the total lead score method where you um, are uh, basically just all the behavior, all the demographic information, all the firmographic information, it just gets lumped into a single score. Um, and to me, you know, that, that's better than nothing, um, but it's um, it doesn't give you the fidelity that you really need to understand. Uh, somebody who has an amazing demographic fit, but has done nothing on your site, their score is going to be the same as somebody who's the totally wrong fit who just happened to download 15 eBooks. Um, so it doesn't give you a whole lot of like granular visibility into what you're looking at. Um, so it's good, but I think you can do better. Um, and so one of the ways that we like to do that is, you know, we, we actually compartmentalize out like the, the, the behavior score from the demographic score. And so now you have two scores that are in conjunction with each other. Uh, 
and the way that I like to uh, to kind of marry those two together, to kind of to take it a step further, um, is we like to put them kind of like on an X Y axis, where you have um, demographic is maybe on the X axis and behaviors on the Y axis, and uh, you kind of divide those into bands of like maybe A through F and maybe one through five, and so now you can see where those uh, demographic and behavior scores kind of mesh with each other. And so you can see an A1 is an amazing demographic fit and they're very highly interested in us. That's your very first top person to call. And then at the other end of the spectrum, you have your E5s and they're not the right fit and they're uninterested. And then you've got everybody else kind of all speckled throughout there. But by doing it that way, you're giving a lot of insight and still a much more simplified model um, so that sales team can focus on the high fit people by looking at all of their A's, or they can look at their highly engaged people by looking at all of their ones or some combination therein. And so it really, for me, it's kind of the sweet spot where it's simple enough to, to make sense of, you can easily put it in a diagram and share that with your team. Um, and they can even have it like posted at their desk so that if they forget there, there it is. Um, but, uh, yeah, it simplifies it while still giving enough information that it's it lends itself towards um, being really practical to use um, on the day to day and as they're creating lists to call into. So, yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, the thing that keeps on rattling in my mind is, and and I've and I've had this question or I've seen this um, where somebody will say, "Well, I want a behavior score." to be 25 to, you know, go to the webinar. But if they are a part of a target account, I actually want that to be 50 points because that target account is more important. So I want that behavior score to be bigger. Mm. And it's interesting because you're, you're pulling in the demographic behavior, like the demographic criteria inside of your behavior score. Um, have you ever kind of like experienced that, that workflow? I go back and forth. I mean, you know, the sign says it depends. Sometimes it makes sense. <laughs> yeah. And I'm I'm trying to wrap my head around like, does that actually make sense? Or do you do you add the potential complication into your demographic scoring to truly do it right according to, you know, the definition of a demographic score versus behavior score? Yeah. Yeah, that's a great question. I think I think if there if there are kind of external reasons why you need to stay like with a single scoring model, uh, like a, like instead of having like a behavior and demographic separated out, if there's reasons that you have to use just that total lead score, um, then I could definitely see adding like a multiplier or something like that to, uh, to certain uh, types of, you know, behaviors like that. But in general, I don't, I don't think that that complexity does you any favors from a maintenance standpoint. Um, or even just from a practical standpoint, like now you have to know that that person is a target account before you can give them their behavior score. Mm -hmm. So from a practical standpoint, you either have to postpone assigning that behavior score, or you have to recalculate it once they sync to Salesforce, because you're probably not going to know that they're at that target account until you sync. So there's all kinds of like implementation challenges that come with that kind of complexity. Um, and at the end of the day, I think that it also almost does you a disservice because um, that I, really you should be 
from my perspective, it's, it's clearer and a truer picture of what's actually going on. If you give everybody who attends that webinar, the same amount of points for the, cause they all engaged in the same behavior. And then right. separately, if that target account should get more points because they're a target account then give them demographic points for that. And it's easier to kind of keep things clean and consistent. And that consistency is really important for a scoring model to work, especially as we're going to kind of get to the other end of this of using that scoring model to try to understand what's working and what's not and how do we tweak it. Um, Even something like scoring for being a target account, that, that in and of itself, I feel like could kind of be a rabbit hole. But if you call a target account one thing this year and then your definition of target accounts is different next year, um, even that can make it difficult for there to be kind of some level of consistency about how you're doing your scoring. Yeah. Uh, so I know that's, that, that's kind of a tangent, but I think to kind of bring it back, um, I would encourage same behaviors to have same behavior scores. And separately, uh, if you have demographic indicators or firmographic indicators that you only increase, increase that, uh, that score for that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, at the end of the day, the cleaner that you can have these two things separate, the better it's going to help you on all of your analytics. If you're ever trying to troubleshoot something and somebody's inevitably going to ask, well, why did this person get 75 versus 25 versus whatever? Right. So if you can just make it as consistent as possible, you're going to save yourself a lot of headache on the other side. And then just start to really think about like, what is that combined score? What do I want that combined score to be? If it's, if you're just saying that I want, you know, to raise my behavior score because of this, then lower your threshold for people that fit that criteria. Yeah. And that, and that's, so oftentimes when we do have kind of this matrix method where you have your A's and your ones, so like you have your A1s and your E5s, um, you might decide that an A4, so somebody who's a really great fit that doesn't have very much behavior score, that would be able to MQL, but a B4 would not, you'd have to be a B3 or higher. So like if your demographic fits a little worse, then you have to have an increased behavior score to MQL. So again, you're, if you're kind of staying true to like behavior means behavior, demographic means demographic. And now I can tag all of these records as, you know, being some kind of a grade, you can adjust what you MQL, but it's still really clear to see um, all of those different facets that you're trying to provide insight insight into. So, yeah. So Matt, what are some of the complications that can come into lead scoring? You mentioned intent data. I find that that's, that's one of them for me. What other, what other kind of parameters do people like to include in a lead scoring model that we should be thinking about? Yeah. So, um, you know, your intent data. So you, you mentioned that like, uh, not only is there like my first party intent, but also if you have maybe a vendor like a Bombora or, um, demand base or six cents, like any of those kind of uh, third party intent providers, like that is something you can take into account. Uh, I think other complications, uh, you know, things like if there's product specific scoring. So if you're at a multi-product company and you maybe want to be able to see, are they interested in product A or product B or both, um, that can bring a lot of complexity. Um, Even something like account stage. Uh, So Uh, This is especially if you're maybe looking at customer scoring. Uh, So uh, typically we see that customers need to engage in more behavior to be indicative of readiness because 
hopefully they have an ongoing relationship with you. So they're going to be uh, attending events and reading uh, some of your content just by the nature of the fact that they're your customer and they have a relationship. So maybe that threshold has to be a bit higher if they're a customer um, or uh, even like a kind of more fine tuned within that. If you have a customer that's kind of in this onboarding phase, you would expect that they would be consuming everything. Uh, and then you'd want to discount the amount of score that they get for that. But then you'd be more paying more attention to spikes in behavior as they're getting closer to renewal. So um, all kinds of complexities there that you can bring in. Um, I think another big one that people ask about is uh, decay. Uh, should I have a score decay or not? Um, and so uh, those are all things that can kind of... Uh, can can throw a wrench in the works. Speaking of decay, do you have kind of a, a preferred methodology? Uh, I like your sign. It depends. <laughs> um, I, I think in general, so again, if we think back to what scoring is trying to do, it's trying to simplify uh, a lot of complex information. So I like to keep things as simple as I can. So really complex decay, uh, I'm not a fan of, um, even less complex decay. Um, I don't, I don't know how important that is. Um, yeah. I, I think a lot of times there's an assumption of, oh, they haven't been engaged for a couple months. So I'm going to lower their score. Um, that's based on the assumption that somebody is on a shorter buying cycle. And that means like that you only want to give them points if they're engaging in that short one month or two month time frame. But every company wor works at a different speed. And so if I am slowly kind of working my way towards a project that's six months out and I'm slowly consuming information about your solution, um, should, I, like, should I be penalized for the fact that I'm thinking about you for over a long period of time? Um, my personal thought is no. Like I, I'm genuinely still interested in you. I've just slowly been consuming your content. So I don't know if you really need to decay behavior in that kind of a situation. Um, I'd say maybe the one, the one area where I am most supportive of decay is, and it's not even really decay, it's more like reset, um, but it's like when, when somebody has entered the, the journey with you, they've, they've become identified as an MQL, they're being worked by sales, um, and then uh, that funnel comes to an end for some reason. They're, they're recycled, they're not ready yet or something like that. Reset the behavior score at that point because you don't want them to come back in and you know score in as an MQL the day after they, they just told the SDR they're not ready yet. Um, so that makes sense to reset in that situation. But I think a lot of the other decay is, um, it's just kind of presumptuous almost that like somebody has to engage really quickly uh, in order to be worth our time. I don't know if that's always the case. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, on the flip side, you know, there may be there may be things going on in your system where every email click you're giving a score and, you know, all of a sudden people are getting scored up and they keep on MQLing because of this like security software that's clicking links. Again, I would then go back to the lead scoring model and say, well, how much value is the, is the email click giving us? Is that the problem or is it the decay? It's probably not the decay. It's probably something else to look at as a root cause. Yeah, I think that's a great a great point you raise. I, I'm not a fan of giving score for, for clicks. Uh, I don't know 
I mean, first of all, it's a really difficult thing to actually trust because you're, you're, as you mentioned, a lot of those clicks aren't actually real clicks. Uh, so that, that creates a challenge, but then also how indicative of interest is a click? Uh, it, it's not a very strong indicator in my mind. Um, and so if you, if you don't score for that, uh, you're probably not missing out on a whole lot. Um, yeah. Yeah, exactly. There's so many other ways that you can score behavior um, that it goes yeah. a long way. So if I were to want to get started, how do you recommend that I get started building building this out? Yeah. Um, so one thing I see happen a lot is I think people kind of get excited about launching a new scoring methodology. Um, I've I get excited about scoring still. Like I know it's kind of like a foundational thing that most of us have in place to some extent, but it's still a really fun project. And so, and it can make a big impact. So totally understand the excitement, but I think a lot of times people get maybe, uh, they, they kind of overcomplicate it. Um, and so I think this is one of those things where like Nike moment, like just do it. it makes a lot of sense. Like don't, you know, that there's always value in, in analytics and trying to pull analysis of like your current deals and things like that. And we can talk a little bit about that. Um, but at the same time, you don't want that to be a hang up or like something that's kind of like crippling you and, and preventing you from just taking action. Um, scoring again is one of those things that it's not set in stone. You should be evaluating it often. So don't worry about it being perfect. It's never going to be perfect. It's better to have something than nothing. Um, and then, it's a whole lot easier to adjust if it's in place. Um, so just start scoring and then iterate from there. So uh, I think that at a high level, just do it is my answer to how do you how do you start. Um, but I think probably uh, a couple layers deeper there. There's some questions about like, okay, if I'm gonna go just do it, like how do I decide what those scores should be? Is that kind of um, kind of an underlying thought there. Yeah, or? yeah, absolutely. I mean, are there are there specific teams that we should reach out to? Um, you know, I think that demographic is pretty easy if you can align it to your ICP that's already been identified and your personas. It's a good place yeah. to start, but when we start to think about behaviors, you know, what do you what do you recommend there? Yeah, so for for demographic like you said, if you already have an ICP that's, you know, you've already put in the work and identified that, then start there for your demographic. Um, I think if you don't have that, or if there's question about whether that ICP is really I, uh, if that really is ideal, um, then, um, you know, I think conversations are hugely important. Talk to your sales team because they have the hardest job in the world. They're the, they're the ones that are calling cold calls all day and getting hum, hung up on and yelled at. They know, um, they know who's re who's receptive and they know who's not. They know who is like their ideal. This is the person I want to talk to. So learn from them uh, and take that into account. Um, talk to your product team. If they do have that ICP mapped out, um, use that. Um, and then I think even just like running some reverse analysis on those demographic criteria, um, you can do some of that. So pull, pull reports of your one opportunities and see... Um, you know, start running analysis on what are those industries? What are those, uh, their company size? What is, um, what is the title of the person who's the primary contact role? Like all of those types of things you can do. Um, 
and I encourage you to do. Um, but there's also uh, a grain of salt or maybe like a, a salt lick that goes with it. Like uh, th there's a lot of exceptions where that's maybe going to be less informative than you want it to be. Um, so if you're like, if you're particularly early in your organization and you don't have a whole lot of opportunities uh, that have been won yet, or if you're maybe in transition where your bread and butter used to be in this area and now you're, um, you've kind of done that pivot. And so now you're shifting your focus to another area, or maybe even if your strategy has been like a knockdown strategy where we focused on all of banking last year and this year we're going to go focus on insurance and next year we're going to focus on manufacturing. Um, if that's kind of been your strategy, then when you pull those reports, you're going to see that 90% of your one opportunities are banking and it's kind of becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy kind of a deal. Um, so that's where do run the data, but also listen to people that, that are, that are on your team and want to win with you because they're going to provide useful feedback. Um, so that's all the, de the demographic stuff. Um, for behavior, it's kind of a similar, uh, similar exercise. Talk to the people, uh, talk to your marketing team, um, talk to your sales team to figure out, you know, when somebody attends an event, do I just get hung up on all the time? Cause they actually don't think that it was that important or content syndication. That's, that's the big one that comes to my mind over and over again. I hear from sales teams that content syndication is rough, uh, because they, many times that, that person doesn't remember interacting with that piece of content, or certainly doesn't remember that it was your piece of content. Um, and so, um, talk to the teams, um, generally speaking, like, uh, the things that are more difficult for your prospects to do are more indicative of interest. So if it's a, you know, I, I know we're in an era where it's all about shortening the form and I'm not saying like make your form long so that you can put people through the ringer, but if they do have to fill out a longer form and they actually do it, then that's an indicator that they're probably more likely to be interested. Or if they have to read a really long piece of content or sit around for a, an hour long webinar, that's probably a stronger indicator of interest than those easy to, to digest five minute reads. So um, generally, like that's kind of how I approach um, thinking about scoring um, for behavior. Um, another particular one that I'll like, kind of throw out there is like direct mail things or meeting makers, some kind of a reward for take a meeting and I'll give you some AirPods or something like that. that that's a really useful tool to be able to use. But I don't think that it would warrant a very high score because, um, again, that the rewards kind of built in there that the, the person's incentivized already to do that. So it's not in and of itself a strong indicator that they're interested in you. They're maybe just interested in AirPods. Um, so those are just a couple of ways that I like think about behavior um, and trying to pick how much things are, you know, how to score things. But again, um, just start somewhere, just put a number to it. And if you, and if you see that you're, MQLing people too soon, uh, scale it back. And if you see that, you know, your sales team is starved for MQLs because it's too hard to meet that threshold, maybe scale up and give more points for some of those behaviors. Um, it's not set in stone. Uh, so don't be afraid of, of making a mistake. And, it, and in fact, plan on being wrong in some way and plan to make it a change um, on kind of a regular cadence to this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you're, you're, you're already 
on the right track with you've launched this it's built it's running it's a continual process to continue to go back to um is there any like high level recommendations on like what types of metrics you should be looking at to figure out if this is worthwhile or not yeah um so ideally the, the first place that my mind goes is if you have your life cycle reporting or attribution reporting in place where you can see you know the volume of your mqls and you can see the conversion rate of your MQLs throughout the, the, the life cycle. So you can see what percentage of those become sales accepted and what percentage of those then go on to become part of an opportunity and eventually one. So like if you have those types of conversion rates in place, if you can see velocity between each of those stages, those are all going to be metrics that you can look at um, as it pertains to score. So now instead of just looking at my MQLs have a 10% conversion rate, you can look at like if when they MQL, if you're stamping their score or their rating when that took place, you can now see my A1s, how, you know, what percentage of those convert and how fast do they convert versus my C3s, how fast do they convert and at what percentage. So you're able to now start seeing that, yeah, my A1s actually do convert at twice the rate and they do it in half the time. Um, and so you can start seeing if you have certain areas that are particularly lagging um, or that are surprisingly better than you expected. Um, you, you can kind of dig into that and see like what's going on there. But that's a great place to start evaluating if your score is in the right place. Um, another thing is, um, you know, not just looking at the successes, but looking at that negative kind of conversion rate. So if you are stamping, um, Let's say uh, you're giving a very high behavior score. I'm going to pick on content syndication again. Um, let's say you're giving a really high behavior score for content syndication, and you see that 90% of those are immediately moved to DQ by your SDR team. Um, that's maybe an indicator that that's not the right vendor to be working with. Or, um, you know, maybe content syndication could just use revamp. Like, um, Maybe they're just not ready to talk to us yet. And so maybe you take those content syndication leads and then you put them through a nurture but you know, to get them to engage in more ways, more directly with you before you pass them on. So um, all kinds of things like that, but really looking at those conversion metrics are really important. Velocity is really important. And if you can give yourself as much fidelity as possible by using that A1 to you know, e, E5 type of a matrix method, it's gonna give you a lot of insight. Um, I think the last piece too is not, again, not, not to make it overly scientific, um, talk to people, schedule a regular, a regular kind of check-in with your sales team and get, get their sentiment. Like are, are MQLs working for you? Are they, do you think that they're garbage? And you want to ignore them? Do you need more of them? And they and you really value them? Like have those conversations, um, so that you can know how to, how to adjust. And I think when it comes to actually making those adjustments, like don't just have the conversation, don't just run the analytics, but then act on it um, and act on it very intentionally. So, um, you know, we talk a little bit about the, the product mops method where uh, we're trying to treat marketing operations uh, as though, it, you know, we are a product team. And so you think about product teams, um, they roll out versions. So they gather kind of like all of the, the requests and then they identify the top priorities and then they roll out a later version. Um, 
it can become a maintenance headache to be responding to every SDR's complaint of like, oh, this event was garbage. Like, can you lower the score? Um, don't do that. Instead, gather their feedback. And then on an intentional cycle, maybe every quarter or maybe every six months or every year, something like that, intentionally go and say, okay, this is the feedback I got. We're going to adjust the scoring and we're going to launch it on this date and then see how that runs. Um, not only does that kind of keep, uh, keep you sane as a marketing operations person, but it also, um, it prevents, it prevents this kind of like slowly morphing impossible, impossibly inconsistent, uh, scoring from making your analytics useless. Um, if you're constantly tweaking it all the time and you don't, you know, an A1 today is not the same thing as an A1 is tomorrow. Um, your analytics are, are not going to be as useful, but if you're on a quarterly basis, you're making an adjustment. And so you can say, you know, starting at that date, that's where things shifted and A1 was slightly different. It, it helps with running your analytics. So I know that's a lot, uh, but those would be kind of my thoughts for, uh, for yeah, how, how you kind of like make those adjustments. I love that. I love that. It's very intentional. Um, it's very process driven. You're bringing on other stakeholders. So you're building up a quorum, you're building up collaboration across the teams and that's what you want. Um, you know, the other thing that we didn't talk about at the beginning that I, I just keep on thinking about as you are, as you're sharing this is lead scoring helps you build partnership between marketing and sales. When they can be a part of the process, they're a part of the continual feedback feedback loop. It doesn't mean that marketing has to make all of the changes that sales says, but they're at least able to come to the table and provide that feedback. And if there are certain things that you are expecting out of your sales team that they're not doing from those leads, it's another opportunity to increase enablement and, and explain, right? Um, yeah. There's, there, there are a lot of tactics that, you know, we just don't know how to utilize them super well. Um, you're, you're kind of talking about content syndication and, and I think it's a common one that a sales team says, Hey, this person came from content syndication. Now I can follow up with them without really realizing what that experience is. So if you can also kind of like re-enable the team on, on how should you be utilizing this specific source of leads, you could, you could find some more success. Um, and it doesn't necessarily always have to be the marketing team going back and changing something. It could be, you know, increased collaboration across, across the groups. Yeah, absolutely. And that, so yeah, I totally agree that if you can, if you can be more involved with that, that sales team and get them to kind of like inform the, the process of how you're going to score and how you're going to MQL, then they now have a horse in the race. Like they're, yeah. they're now that much more vested in this thing working because they got to be a part of it. They understand it more. They trust it more. And so now they'll actually use it better than if they otherwise were just like, what is this thing? Oh, I'm going to ignore it. Marketing is doing something weird again. And I'm just going to go <laughs> Yeah, exactly. you know, so yeah, I think involving them is hugely important. Um, and then again, kind of like going back to that example of, you know, the, the follow-up's not always going to be the same. So in that content syndication example, you know, your, your follow-up there is going to be very different than your follow-up to a request to talk to sales. Yeah. Um, you know, they're, they're completely different types of people in different, different stages of their journey. Um, and again, like, it's not that you can't call that content syndication person, but you need to know that that, that engagement is going to be different. And there again, um, that's where that matrix becomes really helpful because you can see 
that an A1, so a highly qualified person that only engaged with content syndication, or sorry, not an A1, an A5, um, that only engaged with content syndication, it's kind of like a, a, it's just priming the sales team to approach that differently. I know this is the right person and I'm just looking for an excuse to start a conversation. Yeah. Uh, and so there's that excuse. Um, whereas, you know, an E grade lead, they're, they're not looking for excuses to talk to you. They're, they're, they're kind of like on the other end of the spectrum. Like at what point has this person done so much that I should stop trusting what I think I know about them and instead trust what their behavior is telling me. Um, so they're like kind of total opposite ends of the spectrum. And then there's a whole bunch of people in the middle. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think just letting the, the sales team know with more transparency what they're looking at um, so that they can kind of plan their day uh, and plan those, those engagements is hugely important. That's great. Well, Matt, thank you so much. We're coming up to the end of our time. Um, if there was one kind of pitfall that you, that you find people, they, they have a gotcha with lead scoring. What would you say that it is? Um, I mean, we've talked a little bit about this, but I think, I think overcomplicating it is one of the biggest things that I run into. I think they, they inflate it in their minds to this, you know, really difficult, almost impossible thing to implement. And so then they maybe won't, um, or, um, yeah, I think that overcomplication piece can really wreak havoc. It can delay the implementation. And so I think just, uh, simplifying it and, and acknowledging that, this is something that you, it's not like it's a one-way deal. Like you can always come back from it. Yeah. Uh, you can always iterate on it and you should be iterating on it. So just, just take a stab at it and, and go from there. I love that. Thank you very much, Matt. All right. This was a great topic. We were talking about lead scoring today. Um, just some things to really emphasize lead scoring uh, the best approach is going to be a matrix where you have behavior score and demographic score. Um, you know, take a stab at it, put something out into the market. It's better to get progress made than spend all of your time trying to make this thing perfect. We know that lead scoring isn't going to be perfect. So get something in place. Um, take a look, get some feedback from the sales team to understand what's currently working and currently not working. Run some minor analysis on, on closed one opportunities, things that you're finding that are converting higher than others, um, and then put it into practice. At the end of the day, it's not going to be locked in. You can always go back and revisit it. And that is something that we absolutely do encourage you to do. Um, find a regular cadence, though. Make sure that it's something that you're doing on a, a maybe a quarterly basis. Um, so that way you have some time for that data to be consistent and you can actually run the true analysis that you need to do as you continue to improve. Matt, yeah, thank you absolutely. so much for joining us today. We really appreciate having you. Thank you. It was, it was a fun conversation. I appreciate you having me on. Um, hopefully we can do this again soon. Absolutely. You've been listening to the Forward Thinking Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please do give us a review. Uh, it definitely helps us get in front of more people. Thank you very much and have a great day.